If you have your Bibles, you can open into the book of Matthew. So long, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, and uh, we'll jump in as soon as the last of our precious kids has got a pack. Matthew chapter 1. Great to have onto Yvonne's in, uh, granddaughter, Megan, and uh, J- Jason. Great to have you with us uh, from Australia. When you go out into the Welcome Center, they're going to give you a pack. There's a card in there. Fill it out. There's a little thing that says, I need a pastoral visit. Can you tick that little, I need a pastoral visit, all right? Okay, Ma- Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 1. We're looking at Christmas. Um, our Christmas series uh, started last week. Where last week, we had a look at um, the big picture is Christmas changes everything. Last week is Christmas changed the past. Today, Christmas changes the present. Next week, Christmas changes uh, the future. Um, I want to ask you a quick question. How many of you did play and enjoyed playing the game hide and seek when you were young? You enjoyed playing the game hide and seek. You guys are amazing because I asked this question at the eight. No one put up their hands. They were like, Mah. I was like, or did you live in a round house without any furniture? There's no corners to hide in, no curtains. What was your favorite place to hide in? Throw out some areas where you would hide. You enjoyed hiding in those places. Me, yeah. Behind the curtain, classic place to hide. Hit it, Ruben. (laughs) Outside in the highest point of the tree. Somebody threw that out at the eight when I really coached the kids. And then I was like, which is the best tree? No, it's the big one with the thorns. And then his family are like, oh, we know where you hide now. So done. All right. Some other places to hide? Under the bed. Under the bed. In the bath. In the bath. In the cupboard. Great places to hide. Where do you hide? Under the trailer. That's a good place to hide. Under the trailer. When it's not connected to the car. Hey, Yeah, not connected to the car. When I was younger, I had this place to hide. It was the best place to hide. Because it was behind a door in a room, and when you walked into, it was the bathroom. When you walked into the bathroom, there was this cupboard you could hide in. There was the bath you could hide in. There was behind the cupboard you could hide in, and nobody checked the laundry basket. And so that was the best place to hide, because it wasn't really a basket. It was a box. It was about this big. It was like a trunk. It used to be a toy box, and then it got repurposed to a laundry box, and then it got repurposed to shelves, and then it got repurposed to a bra. Um, that it, but that's how it rolled. And so I would hide inside there, and it was great because it had little holes drilled in it. And you could look through the little hole, and you could see the front the door coming into the bathroom. So you always knew if somebody was coming, so you could be really quiet. Because you always you close the door. Because nobody goes into a bathroom when the door's closed. So it's great to hide in a bathroom when that happens. And so I'd hide inside there, and, um, and it used to be my best hiding place until, until that fateful day. When my great, 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 great auntie came into the bathroom that day. She needed to use the bathroom, but not the bath part of the bathroom. She needed to use the other part of the bathroom. And I didn't know. Do I open up and go, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, and then get out because she'd probably die. You know, just... Or do I just be quiet and pray, Lord, let this be quick? But nothing's quick when you're a great, 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 great. It was bad. I sat there looking at the door, just praying somebody else would come in 
trying to just save me from being stuck in the box of doom. I never head there again, ever, in case, you know, just, it's a bad idea, you know, you're hot anyway. So, the goal of the game of hide and seek, is it to hide or is it to seek? Actually, it's neither. It's to be found. The goal of the game is to be found. You hide in a game of hide and seek where no one can find you, it's the most boring game on the planet. It's just boring. You're like, no, no one's going to find me ever, never, ever find me. Yeah, this is the best hiding. No, man. Even if you're hiding in the best hiding place, when everybody else is found, you, you kind of you, you put your leg out from the side of the curtain so that somebody can see you and find you because the goal is to be found. In our home, when we played hide-and-seek, when our children were really small, and we still do play hide-and-seek, it's just, you know, you can't really hide three people behind the curtain when you've got, like, a, a preteen and a 10-year-old and, and dad. Mom finds us, although she doesn't, she pretends she doesn't find us. But we used to have this thing where if you want to find, if, if, if the person's hidden in a really good spot, um, where when you've got young kids, it's anywhere is a good spot, then you'd go, give me a clue. And, and in our family, a clue was, ah, ah. It's like that beautiful sound that those wonderful birds make, you know, that, like those wonderful birds that used to be um, protected, but are so well protected, you trip over them on the way to the swimming pool now. Ah, ah. Ha, ha, ha. And so we're like, give us a clue. He goes, ha, ah, that's not enough because you don't know where the ha, where's the ha coming from? So ha, ha, you go, ha, ha, there, okay. Anyway, so you'd hear this noise and then you'd find the person. And when you found the person, it was a sign to the youngest person that that was the place to hide next. And that's always what happened in our home. The God of the Bible is a God who hides in places where he can be found. Okay, God is a God who wants to be found. He wants you to find him. He doesn't hide in places where you can't find him. All right? he's, he, when he hides, he's like, so you can see him. He wants you to know where he is. He wants to play this game with you so that you will seek him and he will be found by you. And when he's found by you, he engages in a relationship with you. That's how it works. And Christmas is about that. It's about God making himself found, playing this great game of hide-and-seek with humanity and going, here I am. Here I am. So Matthew chapter 1 and uh, verse 18 starts out like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, in other words, set apart to be married to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold. Anybody use that in a sentence this week? That word, behold? Just behold. That's your homework from now. You write this note down. Use the word behold in a sentence or Facebook status update. Behold, that word. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, which is also Joshua is a variant of Jesus. It means God saves. You will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken 
by the prophet. And so God had been for centuries showing himself to humanity, going, there's going to come a day. Put his hand out. I will be hiding in, I'll be in Bethlehem. I will come through a virgin. My name will be Jesus. Uh, I will be pierced in my hands and my feet. None of my bones will be broken. Uh, I will spend some time in Egypt. I will be known as a Nazarene. And God's giving clues ha, ha, to humanity going, this is where I'm going to be. Are you, are you ready to look for me? And the time comes. And Jesus is born. And these things happened to fulfill what the prophets had been saying for hundreds of years. And this is specifically what was fulfilled in what the angel said to Joseph. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until, they, until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. God is a God who loves to hide in places where he can be found by you. He wants to be found by you. If you think that you're in a place in your life where you don't know where God is, I promise you, he's got his hand out the side of the curtain going, Gooey, can you see me? Here I am. Can you see me? I want to be found by you. I don't want to hide away from your circumstances that you don't know me and you don't know where I am. I want to be in these circumstances with you. Um, this is what I do. Jesus breaks into history here in Matthew. He breaks in and he splits B.C. and A.D. He splits Old Testament and New Testament. And he's still in the business of breaking into lives. And so right at the beginning, we see Adam and Eve, and we see God breaking into the day every single day in the cool of the day, God breaking in. And when God breaks in, he breaks in in the person of Jesus. Jesus said, no one has ever seen the Father except the one who comes from the Father, talking about himself. No one has seen the Father except the one who comes from the Father. That's Jesus. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father as well. Every single time you see in the Scripture God revealing himself to humanity as a man, Every time, whether it's in the Garden of Eden or whether it's in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, every single time you see God revealing himself as a man, it's in the man Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus through the Old Testament. It's Jesus through the New Testament. You've never seen the Father unless, you know, you've seen me. And so Jesus would break in every single day into the garden, and he'd walk with Adam and Eve. And he'd break into their today, not into only their yesterdays, not only into the tomorrow, Adam and Eve didn't walk around going, yesterday it was fun to walk with Jesus. Can't wait until tomorrow when he comes again. It was, hey, here he is today. Jesus breaks in today. And so Jesus breaks into their life and he breaks into our lives. Through the, through the Old Testament, God is giving clues, as I said, through these prophecies. We spoke about some of them last week. God gives these clues to, hey, I'm going to break in. Are you listening? Are you watching? Here I am. He didn't just show up and leave like you take a stone and skip it across the water. And then it just bounces, bang, bang, and it's gone. He's like, I want you to know I'm coming. Are you ready? Are you watching? It's going to be there. It's going to be like this. This is who. This is how. Ready, set, go. Jeremiah says, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. God breaks into our today. He breaks into our lives, and Jesus changes lives. Even today, as we saw Ida and Abigail getting baptized today, there's a lives change. Jesus has broken into those lives. He's walking 
with those who were baptized today. He, he impacts our experiences, our current experiences, not yesterday's and tomorrow's, but now, right now. And he changes that. He changes our now. As Jesus came in and he broke in in Matthew, in the very first Christmas as he broke in, he would start something that would change all the cultures that the world had ever known. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. We live in a world where, where at the moment, you just, if you watch the news, you just see, you see wars everywhere. You see natural disasters everywhere. You see corrupt officials everywhere. In every nation, there's something going wrong somewhere. There's someone who's done something that they shouldn't be doing. And every nation's looking to themselves, going, we're the only ones that are struggling through these things. Whilst humanity struggled with their sin and struggled with those who desire to put self first all the time, there were those who had met Jesus who along the way were, were light into dark worlds. And it was those people who were, who were impacted by Christ who changed cultures and changed societies to what we know today. In James chapter 1, it says every good gift comes from God. Have you ever thought about that? Every good thing in your life comes from God. So just, just think about your life. You're like, there's nothing good in my life. Okay, let's distill that right down. Were you able to sleep in relative safety last night? In other words, when you woke up, your blankets were not stolen from you. Uh, you had a warm bed. You, your food was not stolen, your car was not stolen, your house was not stolen, and that's not something that typically happens every single day for you. All right? If that's you, that you were able to, you know, that was something good, and that comes from God. The meal that you ate last night, the breakfast that you ate this morning, the lunch that you will eat today, the supper, even if it's one meal a day, that good thing comes from God. That's what the Bible says. Everything good comes from God. What about the rest? Well, all the bad stuff that comes in is because human beings are selfish and sinful. And we have another aspect in this equation called the enemy, Satan, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the Bible says all of the negative stuff comes from that. The enemy bringing to, to just steal, kill, and destroy. And human beings who just are so full of self that they want their own stuff all the time. And they want more. And there's this insatiable desire for more and to just build up more and more and more. Well, Jesus comes and he radically changes lives. And as he radically changes lives, he changes not only personal lives, but he also changes cultural systems. Let me ask you this question. What does it mean when you see somebody waving a white flag in the middle of battle? They're waving a white flag. What does it mean? I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. That's exactly what it means. Are you allowed to shoot somebody with a white flag? Yes. You're not allowed to shoot somebody. No. From the youngest person in the building to the oldest person in the building, you'll know, white flag, you don't shoot that person. Was it always like that? No. No, it wasn't. A couple of hundred years ago, even a thousand years ago, if people surrendered, you killed them all and their families. That's how it was dealt with. So why suddenly do we treat prisoners of war with respect? Why suddenly do we not shoot people who, who, are, um, who are surrendering? Why suddenly do we not shoot an army vehicle that's got a white circle painted on it with a red cross or a red crescent? Why do we not do that? Because once upon a time, there came this revolutionary guy who said, love your enemies. <laughs> yes! Luke, that's it, my boy. Love, that's Jesus. 
Jesus said, love your enemies. And he changed the way that war was done. I mean, can you do war in a good way? No, war's terrible. But right in the middle of that, there's Jesus. Love your enemy. Pay a decent wage to those who work for you. That's Jesus. Treat your slaves with respect until you realize you shouldn't have slaves anymore. That was Jesus. Yes, there were church systems and corrupt religious institutions that still upheld things like slavery and apartheid. But there were those who were along the fringe saying this is wrong, who had experienced Christ's changing power in their lives, who said it should not be like this. And they were the real revolutionaries who said it can't be like this anymore. This is wrong. I'll give my whole life to this. I will die for this. But it can't be like this anymore. And so we continue with that dream to build a society that looks different. What about treating women with dignity? Where did that come from? Is that the feminist movement who decided we want to treat women with dignity? No. I'd put it to you that it's Jesus who one day is in the middle of the, of the town square and a lady caught in a precarious situation gets dragged to his feet and legally she's supposed to be stoned to death. And while everyone else picks up the stone, they go, right, Jesus, should we do this? If he says no, he's going against the law. If he says yes, he's going to take her life. And everyone's got a stone, and they're about to throw the stone at her. Forget the other person who was committing the same crime with her. They're going to kill her. And Jesus goes, tell you what, the one who has not sinned throws the first stone. And they start dropping their stones, and they all walk away. And then Jesus is left there by himself with this woman who's lying in the dust. And Jesus starts to do something that no Jewish man would ever do. And he starts to talk to her. And he goes, hey woman, where are those who accuse you? I don't know what she did at that time. Did she look up around and try and see where they are? Where, where, where are your accusers? You ever felt like you've been accused? Jesus, where, where are your accusers, woman? And he says to her, no, she said, I don't, I don't know. She says, then I'm telling you, go and don't sin anymore. And she gets up and she walks off. Do you know what that was? That was an example of how to treat ladies with respect. That's what that was. Up until that day, those men, they probably stoned tens of hundreds of ladies. But Jesus says something different. While there's evil in every culture, because cultures are made up of people. Within every culture, there are those who would be radically impacted by Christ breaking into there today and bring change. And these are the real revolutionaries. It means this. It's difficult to, to translate it directly, but it means this. Forgiveness, reconciliation, Apologies given, received. Truce for the community, for the people, for, for the society. It's difficult to get a direct translation, but it kind of means all of that together. Zamo was telling me that around Christmas time, if you're walking through Tanzania, while in Vincent, people are going, Merry Christmas. If you've grown up in the trans sky, or you've grown up in Mtanzani, people are saying, Utolo, Ebantwini. 
You want to know? It's that last banner on the side. That's the essence of Christmas. The essence of Christmas is reconciliation, truce, forgiveness for the people. That's the essence of what Christmas is. Jesus breaking into our lives. Jesus breaking into your today. That's essentially what it is. Because Jesus was the greatest revolutionary who ever lived. He's the one who said that the first will be last. He's the one who said, love your enemy. He's the one who said, riches are to be given away. He's the one who said, serving is the goal, not to be served. He's the one who said, respect the government, while everybody else was saying, don't respect the government. And so Jesus brings peace to those who are confused and broken and who are outcasts and who are lonely. But to those who are the influential know-it-alls, the religious elite, those who uh, were stingy wealth hoarders, Jesus brings conflict into their lives. You just got to love it. Turns everything on its head. And he's still in the business today of bringing change into individuals and cultures today. Not yesterday, and we're not waiting for tomorrow. He's still in the business today, flooding people's lives with peace and or conflict. He draws the hopeless into hope. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Now, if, if, if you didn't grow up in church, uh, born again sounds like a bit of like, what are you talking about, preacher? That sounds like a bit of a different word. Well, we know that for, for all of us, we're, we're on a journey through this world that we live in. And... Uh, Many of us are aware of some kind of spiritual, there's a spiritual awareness. Let's say we call you someone who's exploring spirituality, intentionally or unintentionally, you're exploring something. And so if you're exploring, if you're in that stage of exploring, um, what born again means is, it means you've come to a place in, in your life where you've recognized that this God of the Bible is a God who's shown himself to you, and that this Jesus that he speaks about is his son, and that he can forgive you and release you of the sin that you're hanging on to. And he can release you of um, this desire to want more and more all the time. And he can bring you the peace that you've been looking for your whole life. You respond to him and you ask him to forgive you. That's repentance. Uh, you bow your knee to him and you ask him to be Lord of your life, which includes baptism. And that's what born again means. Now, move on to the next step. What Peter's writing about, this guy who writes this book, he says this, you've been born again, all of that, into what? You've been born into something. You're all born into a family, weren't you? We're not born into nothingness. Even if you are born into, as an, as an unwanted or an abandoned child, you're born into another family. You're born into another forever family. You're born into something, a community. This is what it says. You're born into a living hope, not a dead hope, not yesterday's hope, but a living hope. It's a hope that lives with you. It's a hope that experiences the dynamic of painful confusion and disappointment that life brings. It's a living hope. It's not something that's just fake. It's something that's there with you all the time. And that comes from Jesus. That comes from knowing him. See, this unchanging nature of God who shows himself to us in Jesus is what changes our lives every day. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians, it goes on to say that we are being changed from one degree to the next degree. You sometimes feel like you just can't do it. Some of the children who are listening at the moment, you sometimes feel like you just make mistakes all the time. It's like 
You know, you're trying to be good, but you just make mistakes all the time. And mom and dad are not happy with you because you did this wrong and you said you wouldn't do it, but then you did it again. I just want you to know that your moms and dads feel exactly the same thing. Because you never come to a place where you're like, hey, I've got it. I'm, I've got it. I'm pretty much perfect. I had to deal with the last thing. I checked that. That got checked off last month. There's nothing anymore. Well, here it is. If you've, if you've been born again into that living hope, here's the living hope. That God is making you more and more like his son Jesus every single day. He is not done with you yet. Augustine, St. Augustine said this. God makes me good, but not yet. God makes me good, but not yet. I'm not fully good. I'm not fully perfect, but God is changing me every single day. Here's a story that I share with you as I close. One of the great writers, authors um, of pastoral literature, Gordon MacDonald, uh, writes the story of how him and his wife, uh, how they buy a, a piece of ground, a, a small holding. Um, and, uh, and as they walk along the small holding, they find the piece where, where they're going to build their house, right on the top, but there's a ledge there, and, and, and that overlooks this beautiful view of, of the valley and as far as you can see. And so while Gordon and Gail are, are walking around where it is, they realize there's some work to be done, and where they're going to build their house, there's nothing. It's not like there's a house there, they're going to renovate it. There's nothing. And so those of you who've built, you'll know that there's a lot of hard work that goes into building. And he recounts how they walk around, and, and the first thing that they had to do was they had to move all the boulders. There were these big boulders that they, that they had to move and kind of carry these boulders, put them onto the back of a truck, and, and, and then move out the logs that are lying there and, and get these logs onto the back of, of the truck. And then, then the truck drives off and it comes back empty, and, and again the process starts until there are no more broken logs, until there's no more boulders left. And then they have to take out the chainsaw and... They have to cut down the trees that are in the way and, and they fall and then cut them up into pieces and put those on the back of the truck and move them away. And when all the boulders are gone and when all the trees have been cut and when all the fallen trees have been moved away, says, then we notice the real work. Because then we noticed all the small little rocks that needed to be moved. And then we noticed all the weeds that had been growing for years in some of the places where we needed to grow grass and where we now needed to grow our flower beds. And when all of those were out, and the house had been built, and the last stone had been removed, and the last weed had been pulled out, only then could we lay the grass that would grass around our house. And only then could we turn the beds to start planting flowers in the beds. So you look at your life. God is not done with you yet. Christmas changes everything. And Jesus is still in the habit of breaking into your today, making himself found by you so that he can make you, so that God can make you more like his son Jesus. He's not finished with you. He's not done. He's still in the business of changing your today, taking your failed restarts that we spoke about last week and starting with a moving towards a faith start, not a failed restart, but a faith start. And once you've made that faith start, he doesn't just leave you there, but so he starts changing. The big things seem to leave easier. 
but he's still busy with the little things. So let me ask you this question today. Are you in a place perhaps where you feel just hopeless? And you're just saying, God, I need some of that living hope today. Are you in a place where you're looking at your life and going, I just see boulders. God, would you help me remove those? Are you in a place today perhaps where you just go, God, I'm so grateful that there was a day where you broke into my today. You broke in and you showed yourself to me. Maybe you feel like you're in a place where you can't find God, that he's hiding and that you can't find him. Or perhaps you just not, you haven't been able to look for him. You just have no energy to look for him. Today you're praying, God, would you show me your hand so I can find you? That's what it means to seek him. Would you show me where you are so that I can find you and I can be found by you? Let's bow our heads together as we close out today. God is a God who wants to be found. And so throughout the morning, he's been whispering to you. He has been whispering thoughts in, straight into your soul. As I've been preaching, he's been saying things to you and you've been agreeing or disagreeing. He's been bringing peace or conflict into your life. That's been God speaking to you. How would you respond? Perhaps your response today is, God, I want to know you like those people who got dunked in water know you. I want to start out a new relationship with you. I want to ask you to forgive me and I don't know what that means, but God, I need to know you. You're asking him to forgive you of your sin. You're asking him to come and flood your life with his spirit. Maybe you just want to ask him that. Maybe today you're just saying, God, please, I need, I need to know your presence. But whatever God was saying to you today, would you... Would you just acknowledge that before him? God, I hear your voice. I hear what you're saying to me. I hear what you're saying to me. And then make a decision before him today to follow up on that. God, my decision today is I will continue to seek after you. In this place of darkness, I will endeavor to find you. I will be more aware of your presence. God, would you help me to be more aware of your presence? Maybe that's your prayer. Father, for those who this morning have just sensed your spirit speaking to them, I want to pray in Jesus' name that as they've responded to you, that they would sense you breaking into their lives tangibly, Lord, not uh, academically, tangibly, that they would sense your, your hand in their life right now. They would sense the peace that comes from you. For those, God, who are still running away from you and uh, deciding to live their lives for themselves, God, I pray, flood their lives with conflict that you bring out of love. So, Father, as we close out this morning, I want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, uh, Jesus, you've changed the course of history. You've changed the course of our lives. And you still desire to change the course of lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to come along to our Christmas service next week when we close out the series looking at